Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys, Spotify Green Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And, of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <laughs> What's up, guys? Back for another NFC West preview uh, for one of our opponents, this time the LA Rams. And Sosa K from Locked on Rams will be with us in just a moment to help preview the 2021 Rams, one of the more intriguing teams uh, in a very intriguing uh, division, You know, two teams went to the playoffs last year. The Arizona Cardinals nipping at our heels. We were back and forth with them in the final weeks of the season. Could have been the third playoff team. And then the fourth team that didn't, that wasn't in the playoff discussion, was the defending NFC champion uh, from 2019, the San Francisco 49ers that were just ravaged by injury. So uh, it's going to be intriguing to see what happens with that division and um, what could happen with the LA Rams, with Matt Stafford, and all of the talent that they have. Have uh, easily the best uh, roster Matt Stafford has ever been a part of, or at least the most complete, that's for sure. But before we get to that, I uh, wanted to address something really quick. It's uh, something that's been rumored before. I talked about it once on my, uh, on my Spotify uh, Green Room show. Uh, and when it was just a rumor a few weeks ago, and now it's kind of been kicked into high gear because the Bears have officially made a bid on the Arlington Racetrack property, which could be a future site for a new stadium for our beloved Chicago Bears. And um, I just want to let you guys know where I'm at with that before we get to the show. Um, for anyone who hasn't been able to join me on the Spotify Green Room, yet formerly known as the Locker Room uh, app, um, I'm for it. I am 100% for 
the Bears going after this Arlington Heights property. Uh, I'm all for them building a brand new state of the art uh, facility and all that kind of stuff. Um, not only for them, but for for the possibilities that it opens up for the area, for the city, uh, not so much the city of Chicago, obviously, but just for the for the area and and and, and what it all, what it all you know leans uh, towards. You know, it just if the Bears have a state of the art facility, you know, it, it might not be a frequent thing that happens because we're a cold weather site, but. You guarantee at some point that the first available opportunity, Chicago will host the Super Bowl. And and I know a lot of you are saying, well, it wouldn't be in Chicago, be in Arlington Heights. Well, the game would be in Arlington Heights. But all of the festivities and stuff leading up to the Super Bowl, trust me, it would all be in Chicago. All of it would be in Chicago. Uh, aside from like Media Row, which always takes place in the actual uh, stadium itself, all of the festivities leading up to the Super Bowl would take place somewhere in Chicago. I guarantee it. And you would be, uh, you know, as, as, a, as an old school wrestling fan, you know that WrestleMania would be back in Chicago because uh, Vince McMahon only has WrestleMania in the giant big stadiums now. And the biggest one that we have to offer where everyone wouldn't freeze to death uh, on a late March, early April weekend is Soldier Field. And can't have that. And the last time that WrestleMania was in Chicago, I was there actually for WrestleMania 22 at the old Rosemont Horizon, a.k.a the Allstate Arena. So, uh, you know, that would definitely bring that back. I'd imagine uh, when their lease is up in Indianapolis, the Big Ten would bring the Big Ten Championship back to Chicago uh, because that's where the the Big Ten is based in Chicago. So, guaranteed, they'd bring the game, quote-unquote, home. Not to mention the Bears or the stadium could host the Final Four. In uh, and, and any other possibility, I'm sure that, that all of a sudden the NCAA would, would magically create a new bowl game to be played in that stadium every single year, uh, ex, you know, if, if not for the Big Ten Championship. Some, it just opens up so many possibilities, not to mention the fact that our beloved Chicago Bears, a charter franchise that started the league that we're all in love with, would have a, a facility worthy of them. Because the big thing about the renovation that I hated from the beginning for Soldier Field was that we lost about six or 7,000 seats when we, when we made this conversion because they had to, uh, because Soldier Field is a, a, a national landmark, they had to preserve the colonnades on the outside of the stadium. So they had to build the stadium within the colonnades. Uh, you know, it, it was... Uh, and it cost the Bears about 6,000 seats. Capacity was about 67,000 seats before the renovation. It is the lowest in the NFL right now at 61,500. One of the most loyal fan bases in all of sports, not the NFL, in all of sports, has the lowest capacity stadium in the NFL. That is pathetic. Not to mention the constant tug of war with the, the parks department, the park district, about the turf, how they won't switch to field turf or anything like that because they just want to reside the field, which costs millions of unnecessary dollars but gives the park district something to do a couple of times uh, a year. Uh, and and I, honestly, I wouldn't be against a, um, a retractable dome so the Bears could still play in the elements but also be protected uh, at the same time. Uh, and, you know, it just I know that it would kind of eliminate something. And, yeah, it sucks that they wouldn't be playing in Chicago at Soldier Field, but it's a necessary evil. They wouldn't be the only team in the league not playing in the city they claim to be from. You know, the New England Patriots, uh, you know, are a Boston uh, are Boston based team 
They play in Foxborough, about not close uh, to Boston. Santa Clara, the home for the 49ers, about 60 miles away from San Francisco. Uh, and let's not forget to, about the New York, New Jersey Giants and Jets you know, playing, uh, you know, in a different state from the one that they claim uh, to be home to. So it wouldn't be a unique situation. And that idiot mayor Lightfoot has no idea what she's talking about when she says the NFL wouldn't allow it. Yes, they would. The NFL would be more than happy to help the Bears have a brand new state of the art facility that Soldier Field will never be. Unfortunately, they just won't be. It's, it's not going to to happen. <clears throat> As long as the Bears have to work within the colonnades and, uh, and things like that, even the world's best renovations won't help them gain the necessary seats to be able to, pl- to, to host a Super Bowl or put a dome over the top of, of uh, Soldier Field or anything like that. It's going to have to be a, a neutral site uh, as far as uh, one that isn't uh, Soldier Field. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's something that, that we as a fan base – deserve it's something that the organization deserves a charter franchise like theirs should have one of the highest capacity stadiums in the league uh because they would fill it up it's the bears for christ's sake everybody's gonna go they're gonna go so whether you're a hardliner you want them to stay in chicago they won't be the chicago bears if they play in arlington heights nonsense yes they will Okay, and and Lightfoot's comment about the Bears should be working towards building a roster, beating the past Packers, and being relevant uh, past October. Fuck you. All right, that's what I have to say to Mayor Lightfoot and that short-sighted bullshit that she had to say about our team the other day. So, anyway, guys, now that I get to put the explicit tag on this episode, let's go ahead and bring in our good friend Sosa K, our new friend Sosa K from the Locked On Rams podcast. This is the NFC West Opponent Preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. out loud. As we move along here with our NFC West Opponent Preview, we move on to our second place finisher in the LA Rams and, uh, you know, had a had a 10 and 6 playoff season uh in that beautiful new stadium that stayed empty thanks to uh covid and uh made the the playoff run fell short in the divisional round uh against green bay unfortunately we were, we couldn't watch them beat the packers that's that was too bad but here to help us out and previewing the uh the rams for 2021 a new friend from locked on rams sosa k sosa how we doing man i'm doing good my man thank you for having me you know, it's it's uh, it's always fun to to meet new fans, and when we do that, or new friends, I should say, and when we do that, we like to ask them the same brand new friend questions. Uh, number one, where are you from? Number two, where are you now? And then number three, your favorite memory as a fan of the LA Rams. Yeah, so this is a little bit unique here, probably very different compared to some of the other people you've had. Uh, I'm Croatian by nationality. I was born in Germany. I lived there for six years. Uh, now, currently, and ever since that, uh, ever since then, since I came here, I've been in Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada. Okay. And uh, I know that's not related to the Rams whatsoever no. in any degree, whether that was in Missouri or now in California. Uh, been here since 2000, and probably my favorite memory as a as a Rams fan. You know, it, the easy one is the greatest show on turf win, but I feel like I was way too young and didn't really understand football too well at that point. I was probably about six or seven. Um, so I would say 
the NFC Championship game this past uh, 2018 season, just a few years ago. Maybe the Greg Zerline kick to send the Rams to the Super Bowl against the uh, New Orleans Saints in overtime. Not, you know, going to talk about the pass interference call that the referees no, blew or anything like that. Okay, just, yeah. I mean, and, and you know what? I never faulted the run, the, the corner uh, for that. I forget what his name was. But, um, you know, it's like but because he was honest about it. And that's why I didn't have any beef whatsoever with what he did. It's like he made the play. He expected there to be pass interference. He was trying to save the touchdown which is exactly what he did. He openly interfered, and the referees just blew the call. You know, he served it up for him on a silver platter. They didn't make the call. He's like, okay, I'm not going to flag myself. So, you know, they went out there. I I made the play that that was necessary to save the touchdown uh, and everything, and the referees didn't make the call. Yeah, so it it was really weird. But yeah, uh, you, could, you could see him looking around like he looked at yeah. one ref, looked at the other one and it, nobody threw a flag. And by the way, that was Nikhil Roby Coleman. OK. Um, and, you know, they missed some other flags in that game. So I don't fault the Rams like that. You know, the drive prior, Jared Goff got yanked by his face mask on a first and goal or whatever it was. Second and goal it would have put the Rams on the one yard line and had a first and goal again. And they did ultimately have to settle for a field goal there. So they might have had seven points instead of three. Um, but you know, that's just kind of the way the game goes. And it was unfortunate to see that, but at least the saints still had a shot to win it. Right. It wasn't like, you know, the, yeah, they did. The, yeah. It, the flag didn't end the game essentially. So you right. know, it is here and there, but yeah, they could have scored even after, after that play and, uh, or they, mm-hmm. you know, they just, and they didn't, they had the ball in overtime and didn't get it done. You know, they had their chances. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was definitely, that would have definitely helped them a lot, but at the same time, they had other opportunities. Like you said, it didn't end the game, so right. um, they had their chances. So, but like I said, I I never faulted the, the the corner, especially after you know after the game, and they asked him the question, and he's like, I I made the play I needed to to save the touchdown. If it's not my fault, they didn't call the flag. So oh, he had quite a memorable quote. I don't know how PG or, you know, if there's any uncensored here, but it was a pretty funny one. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to reserve it. I don't know what kind of audience, you know, how far you go with the swearing, but it, it was a funny quote. Nah, we'll save it for later. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, that was a, uh, that was a great game. Uh, I enjoyed that one. Uh, interesting outcome. Uh, you know, of course, 2018 was a very bittersweet year. Uh, for Bear fans, year one for Nagy, uh, 12 and four. Year one for Khalil Mack, he's playing like a beast all season long, elevates the defense. Uh, Trubisky in year one of Nagy, but year two of his career, we see him struggle, but, but progress throughout the season. He was a much better quarterback after, you know, in that playoff game against the Eagles than he was week one uh, against the Packers. You know, we think we're really on to something, and then the double doink happens, and we lose. We go home early. That sends the Eagles to the next round and and all that kind of stuff. Just wondering what could have been, because actually if we win that game, we go to L.A. and play the Rams in the divisional round instead of, uh, instead of the Eagles going to um, New Orleans, because New Orleans was the number one seed. Uh, that year so yeah we the Bears would have played the Rams in LA the following week and it would have been a rematch from the the Sunday yeah. night game that was a defensive battle that the Bears ultimately <laughs> uh won you know in that game so it was kind and of their I, coming I out party that year games. I yeah. remember Jared Goff throwing five interceptions against the Bears in like week 14 or whatever it was yeah. uh, that season and then I remember watching the double doink game as well that you know, that comeback by Trubisky in that offense was incredible. Yeah. I, I thought for sure you guys were going to go through, but um, obviously the double doinks. But. Ugh, 
God. I mean, and it's just, and if, you know, going into that thing, it's like, you know, worst case scenario is for this thing to come down to Cody Parkey. And that's exactly what happened. You know, mm-hmm. that he just, he, he was, he was choking all year long. He had hit, he had hit the goalpost, I think six times throughout the season mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. And of course that's what he does when the whole world is watching uh, in that playoff game, man. It, it was just, it was unbelievable. So, yeah. but, and when I, uh, when I was previewing that game back in 2018, our friend Brad Motter was the one that came on the show to preview it at that mm-hmm. time. And he and I both agreed that it was going to come down to which team made the fewest mistakes uh, in that game. And it turned out to be absolutely correct because that was Mitch's first game back from a shoulder injury. And he was pressing like you wouldn't believe and threw three interceptions in the game. It's like, well, the good news was for the Bears, Goff threw four interceptions and was mm-hmm. sacked for a safety. So that's just, you know, five mistakes to three on that one. So that, that you know, that checked out. The Bears ended up winning a 15-6 to six offensive explosion of a football game. And, uh, you know, but it was not to be. There would be no rematch in the divisional round thanks to Cody Parkey. So. Uh, anyway, on to other more recent times. And last year in 2020, an, an interesting season for everyone. You know, COVID, and you've got this beautiful, brand new $5 billion stadium that uh, you're playing football in. It still looks amazing, even though it's empty uh, and everything. Start off the year in, in Dallas, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, I want to say in Dallas, against Dallas. Um, mm-hmm. We win that game on. Uh, Sunday night football, which is funny because that's how you're starting the season again at home, but with the Bears this time. And mm-hmm. then at the road for Philly to start off 2-0, and lose the game to Buffalo. And that was a, one of the really first like crazy games of 2020. That did, was it Buffalo that got up big and the Rams came back, or was it the other way around? I don't remember. No, you had it right. Buffalo was up by like three touchdowns, maybe even a little bit more, and then the Rams made a comeback at the end there. Yeah, and there was that crazy play with with uh, Aaron Donald, where they thought he grabbed a face mask, or it looked like mm-hmm. he did, and it was ended up being like a fumble recovery that he gets, and and things yeah. like that. It was that game was all over the place. But Buffalo comes out and like basically wins on like the last play uh, to to take the win there, and then you get the wins over the Giants and the Redskins, which really wasn't hard for anybody to do last year, but it was funny. Five weeks into the season, you're four and zero against the NFC East, just like that. Yeah, they swept up the East. Um, luckily, they had them on the schedule. The East, yeah, kind of feels like you know that terrible division as of recently, and kind of doesn't really have any, any dominant team. But uh, yeah, the Rams did a, a very well against the NFC East, not so well against the NFC West. It was a little bit more five hundred ish, but uh, yeah, the NFC East was good for the Rams last season. Right. Speaking of which, uh, after the five, four and one start, you lose to San Francisco. Come home for a Monday night game, which was an absolute disaster uh, for the Bears. And just we we couldn't get any. I mean, you, you, I give all the credit in the world to the Rams and their defense uh, in that one. They were spectacular uh, in that one. It was the Leonard Floyd revenge game uh, in that one. And um, you know, the Bears just couldn't get anything, anything going. The Rams won that one twenty four to ten on Monday night, and then. The loss to Miami, which was kind of a surprise when that did happen, but it was on the road in Miami. It was in November, so you had that sticky, disgusting uh, Florida humidity that probably played a factor uh, in that one. But the Dolphins come away with the win before uh, the bye week. But going into the bye week, you've played, what, eight games, and you're, what, five and three. You're in a good spot, 
and you know you you go five and three the rest of the way, but you had some really crazy losses, including the loss that cost the Jets Trevor Lawrence when they beat you guys like week fifteen uh, of the season. What what happened in that game? You know what? That was a weird weird game. Now it was kind of like a concoction of a lot of bad things. I remember the offense had pretty much scored one K-makers, like 10 or 12-yard touchdown that was called back on a penalty. He lost maybe another 60 or 70 yards rushing that would have gained him a few more points uh, on holding penalties, things like that. Jared Goff throughout that stretch of the season and dating back to that Miami game was, I think, when it really, really started was that seed was planted where I think the Rams really knew at that point in time, this is not our guy anymore. We're going to have to turn the page at some point. And uh, it started in that Miami game. He had like four turnovers or three or four turnovers. And then it went really just throughout the rest of the season. Now, he didn't just perform terribly every single game, but there were a lot more of those three turnover performances or those 160 passing yard games where the Jets was another one of them. He just didn't play well. And, um, you know, ultimately they lost that game. I think they went in maybe a little bit too overconfident and uh, didn't really expect this team to do well. And the Jets just kind of fought their way to a win. It was surprising. It was embarrassing for sure. Uh, but that's just kind of the way it goes. And, um, you know, like you said, it was unfortunate for them because they probably should have been happy to lose every game. But uh, the Rams still, you know, they made the playoffs. They still got correct. But, yeah, definitely those Jets and Dolphins losses were, I think, very, very eye-opening for the front office and especially uh, Sean McVay. Did that, did that loss to the Jets cost you the division because you finished 10-6 and six instead of 11-5 and five on that one? I can't recall if um, that would have had the Rams at the top of the division because they did split with Seattle last year. Right. I believe it was 1-1. I don't know if the division records would have played in uh, in a different manner or not. I guess it didn't really matter because the Rams ended up going to play in Seattle anyways and won in, in right. the playoffs. But uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not 100% sure. I can't recall. Yeah, that was an interesting, that was an interesting game, and that's kind of where the, the seed was planted for all the drama with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks uh, throughout the offseason was losing that game when at one point during the year they were the best team in football Russell Wilson was going to be the MVP uh, and all that kind of thing and then the second half just didn't go their way they still made the playoffs because they they basically were top heavy with their schedule they won most of their games in the first good chunk of the the season and kind of fell apart towards the end of the year culminating in a wild card loss uh, to a division rival that they had just beaten a couple of weeks uh, before and that's where the thing with Wilson he's telling these are the teams I like to to go to so of course all Bear fans were freaking out because we were on that list for some reason uh, mm-hmm. and everything and then finally that didn't go through and you know the Bears found their way here in the offseason and I'm sure you've heard plenty uh, about that but um, you know the Rams were were an interesting team you, you know Brandon Staley coming out he was the you know first year as as defensive coordinator uh, for you guys, a resounding success, and so much, in fact, that he's still in Los Angeles, but now he's the head coach of the Chargers, so he's not your D.C. anymore. Who took over for him? Yeah, so he passed on, uh, passed on. He moved on after a year. Like you said, it was an incredible season for him. The Rams ranked pretty much number one in every important defensive metric. The guy was absolutely incredible. Uh, you got to give your hats off to him. He 100% deserves his opportunity. Coming in, Raheem Morris, the former defensive coordinator slash interim head coach of the Falcons last year. And uh, Morris has been in a lot of different stops over the course of his career. He's been in the NFL for a long time now. And I don't know, you know, if you guys recall, but you think back to 10, maybe 15 years ago, 
Raheem Morris was like the original Sean McVay. This was a guy who got a Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coaching job. I don't recall what age he was, maybe 34, 35. Like he was young and he was the original, you know, Mike Tomlin, Sean McVay, that young coach that's getting an opportunity that's probably a little bit too big for him. But, you know, since then he's kind of bounced around a few different teams and he and Sean McVay did spend time in Washington together. So I think that's where that friendship sort of started. They might have even been in Tampa together at some point. I can't recall. Uh, so they've known each other for a long time, but it is going to be Raheem Morris coming over. You know who could recall? Sean McVay, because the guy doesn't forget yeah. anything. Literally right. does not forget anything. I mean, it's just the those recall games that they play with him in interviews, it's disgusting. I mean, people like to talk about me and compliment me on my memory because of the way that I can remember things, but I can't remember what the Bears did on 3rd and 10 on November 11th and week number 10 against this team with this formation and the ball was on this hash and all that kind of... He can break it all down for you like it just happened five seconds ago and he'll regurgitate it right back to you, but he's talking about something that happened seven months ago and he can tell you a specific play, how much time was on the clock and and all that kind of stuff. It's it's, uh, impressive and disgusting all at the same time. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what makes him so good at what he does. Yeah. You know, he's like this attention to detail is unlike most players or coaches or people in general in life, I guess. And it's the little things I think that haunt him a lot that, you know, sometimes he maybe makes a bad call or whatever the case is. And then he just lets it, you know, sit in his head for a long time. And that's why I guess he's really good at his job. So in the offseason, and you alluded to it when we were talking about Jared Goff there, you know, the um, the Rams move on. Uh, from Goff, we, we they they send him and three picks to Detroit for Matthew Stafford. And um, first of all, what is it with 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 Les Snead? Is is he allergic to first round picks or whatever? Because we're going to be electing a new president before you guys pick in the first round again. Yeah, you know the Rams are going to be going on eight years, barring any changes, unless they trade someone for a first round pick. They're going to be going eight years without a first round pick. So. 2016 was their last one with Jared Goff. The next one is 2024. That's the longest drought since Washington had, I think, since like the 1970s when they went a whole decade without a first-round pick. That doesn't even seem possible in today's NFL with this salary cap and you know all these players making so much money. But the Rams make it work somehow. So I don't know what their I, you know their deal is with this lack of first-round picks. They like going to get proven starters, and um, you know it's worked out well for them. They've had a lot of success, obviously, but at some point. You just think that it's going to catch up to them. But so far, you know, they've done very well with it. Yeah, that, and that's the other impressive part. I was I was speaking with, um, I think it was, um, with Q Myers from Locked on Raiders uh, the other day. And we were talking about, I think it was Q. Pretty sure it was Q. No, it was Oscar uh, Aparicio for the 49ers. Um, for Better Rivals, the podcast that he does. And we're talking about how, you know, different teams have all these different approaches uh, to roster building and that, you know, the attitude for uh, for some people is the salary cap is only a problem if you let it be a problem or, or if you make it one or something like that. And my first thought was like, yeah, look at the Rams. I mean, they've got at least five guys, if not more, making $20 million a season and somehow they can put a roster on the field. You know, it's like, I don't know how they do that, but, you know, especially in a year like this year, where five guys making a hundred and making you know twenty plus million uh, and such, that's a hundred million of a hundred ninety eight million dollar salary cap, and you got to put forty eight other guys on a team with those five twenty million dollar plus guys, and somehow less needed company pull it off every year, and you guys, you know, 
not only do you put a team on the field, you put a good team on the field and win games and make playoff runs. Yeah, you know, they've done a good job. Even with all this dead money that they've eaten over the last few years, they're paying like $30, $35 million per year to guys that aren't even on the roster. You look at Todd Gurley's contract, which was terrible. You look at Brandon Cooks getting paid a lot of money and getting treated out of the, you know, the system right away. Jared Goff now, a lot of dead money that they're leaving behind. So now they don't even have the full salary cap available to them. They don't have these early round picks, the first round picks in specific, but they still find a way to make it work. And they do it, you know, by fielding these upper echelon players that shouldered most of the weight, the Aaron Donalds, the Jalen Ramseys, the, I guess now Matthew Stafford's, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. And then they fill in the blanks, I guess, with, you know, mid-round guys that ultimately they do a good job of developing. Right. And they know how to work the salary cap too. Like you mentioned, they do a lot of restructuring, things like that kind of kicking the can down the road at some point, you know, they're going to have to, I guess, just, you know, face the reality of probably being in a cap situation. That's not going to be ideal, but so far, you know, it's been pretty good for the Rams and they do have this Super Bowl window open. So I think they can justify kind of kicking that can down the road a little bit. Sure. Sure. I mean, I, I love the move uh, for Stafford. Uh, I did find it curious that Stafford was all you, did you get a pick in return from the Lions? Or was it, was it just did, Stafford? No. Yeah, I just thought it was just Stafford. And you gave up a third this year and your next two ones, 2022, 2023, and Jared Goff. I was like, man, that is one lopsided, one lopsided deal. And, uh, you know, it says a lot that that's what, what uh, you know, what the Rams were willing to pay to get Stafford and how badly they wanted to to move on uh, from from Jared Goff after after the, you know, the rocky relationship not so much that he's had, but just Rocky in general. You know, he's kind of been up and down the last couple of years, especially. And you know, to move on from from him and bring in Stafford, who was an older player, and and things like that. And but knowing that, you know, this is probably the guy that's going to help us bridge the gap from where we were to where we want to be. Yeah, and you know, there were just a lot of dynamics to it. It was definitely expensive, but I think when you look at it from you know the Lions' perspective. The Rams are a pretty good team. They're probably going to be picking, you know, in between the 25th to 32nd pick, especially now with Stafford. So you're kind of devaluing those first round picks. They're maybe not as worth, you know, as the Jaguars first round picks are. So there's that issue. And then also now they got to eat Jared Goff's contract. So they know that they can sort of lessen the value there. He's being paid a pretty good amount of money for a guy that is, you know, on a shorter leash here. He does have obviously the connection with former assistant GM who was with the Rams, who is now the GM with the Lions, Brad Holmes. So there was a lot of a connection there. And then you end up seeing Michael Brockers going there too, uh, to the Lions as well. So uh, a lot of connections and it was expensive for the Rams, but I think that they had to make the move and, you know, their options were relatively slim. They weren't going to go get a rookie quarterback. They're ready to win now. And then you look at the stuff with Deshaun Watson, you can't really trade for him. They called the Texans for that. They called the Packers to check in on the Aaron Rodgers situation. So not many options. And ultimately they seen a good guy in Matthew Stafford. And you guys are very familiar with him. You guys have played oh, yeah. a lot over the last decade and uh, they made the move. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how it, how it's going to, uh, how it's going to work out because you know, the, the, the unfortunate thing about Detroit is that you see a lot of good football players go through there. You know, the Barry Sanders, the Calvin Johnsons, and the Matt Stafford, who has been a solid to, you know, great quarterback over the years, but he's just never had the team to 
support him, whether it's the, you know, those years where they, where they made the playoffs and he's throwing for, you know, four to 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns and eight interceptions, but they have to score 50 points a game because they have the worst defense uh, in the league, or it's all on him because they haven't had a running game since Barry Sanders retired 21 years ago uh, and things like that for him to move to a team in LA where they have a lights out defense they have a running game because that was one of the things that kind of powered your offense last year. And they have horses on the outside that he can throw the football to. So this is probably the most complete team that Stafford has ever been a part of. And I know that he's definitely looking forward to seeing how the other half lives instead of it all being on his shoulders. He coming in into a team where he's got help for a change. Yeah. And I've said the same thing, you know, I can't remember the exact stat. I think it was, it was either eight, nine, or 11 games over the course of his entire career with the Lions. He's only had either eight, nine, or 11 games with a 100-plus yard rusher. Right. That is like one per year. That is absolutely absurd. I don't right. even know how you could do that. That sounds harder to do than not to do. So right. um, that's not the case with the Rams. They have a good running game, like you said. They invested in Cam Akers. They invested in Daryl Henderson. They're going to have a lot of touches, those two guys together. They've historically been a very good running game under Sean McVay one of the most productive in the NFL you mentioned it good receivers pretty good O-line probably the best defense he's ever played with a good tight end good running game and I think the biggest difference the best head coach he's ever played for the best receiver, play caller and I think it's going to make all the difference but you know who's to say yeah I mean that's going to be huge for him uh, as mm-hmm. well, because he's also in his nine or ten years, ten actually, I think he's like twelve years actually. Twelve, yeah. He's had a carousel of coaches coming through Detroit. I think he's played for five different head coaches, if not more. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, probably more if you throw in the interim head coaches, because the Lions organization not exactly shy about firing guys midseason uh, and <laughs> things like hell. It just happened last year, as a matter of fact. But um, you know, he's probably played for. Uh, you know, six or seven coaches in his time uh, in Detroit. And, you know, considering it's a, maybe a 10-year, 10, 11-year career that we're talking about, that's like a new coach every two years kind of average type thing. And, and that's no way to have any kind of sustained uh, success and things like that. You know, it's like they're – and the thing with Detroit is that they kind of do it backwards. They hang on to the guys they let go. They let go of the guys they should hang on to uh, and things like that. It just, you know, it, it never really makes sense – there's not much of a rhyme or reason to what they've been doing in their in their coaching search. I mean, as as a football fan, you hope they figure it out at some point because it just gets boring watching the same team be crappy year in uh, and year out. Which is why I'm glad we're seeing teams like Cleveland and Buffalo uh, turn it around because it's you know watching them finish fourth every single year was just getting boring as a football fan, you know. And then, but as a Bears fan, I'm happy to watch Detroit stink it up every year. You know, let them. St- that's two guaranteed W's on my schedule when the, when we play the Lions. So let them be the crap, uh, you know, the crap heel of, of the NFC North. I'll take that every year. But as a football fan, it's like, dude, when are you guys going to figure it out? I mean, how hard is it? You see teams turn it around all the time, and you guys can't figure it out? Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen now. The new head coach, Dan Campbell, first time. Jared Goff in Detroit is, like, so weird to me. I can't even wrap my head around it, but – Hey, man, I don't know what's going to happen. I do love the NFL for this reason, though. There's a lot of parody. I mean, yeah. other than Tom Brady, of course, Tom Brady's the GOAT. He's going to represent the NFC or the AFC, wherever he's at, a lot in the you know Super Bowl. But other than Tom Brady, man, you see all kinds of different teams get to the Super Bowl or get good or get bad. 
You're talking about the Broncos, the Panthers, the Rams, the 49ers, all these teams that made it, you know, over the past decade, like, and they're not really ever a threat to go back the next year. The Eagles, too. And yeah. uh, so I think that's what makes the NFL the best. You just really never know what's going to happen. Right. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm especially a fan of the NFC, because it is a gauntlet where there's a new team pretty much every single year. We haven't had a repeat NFC champion since the Seahawks 2013, 2014. And before then, it was years before it had happened uh, like that. You just don't see it happen very often you know it's almost always a new team and I did the math a couple years ago when when Brady was still in New England how in since 2000 basically when Brady joined the NFL the AFC has sent like four or five teams to the Super Bowl and in those 20 years the NFL or the NFC sent like 13 different teams to the Super Bowl I mean the, the Giants went twice the Seahawks went twice And, you know, but it was like after that, it was like Tampa Bay went this year. The Bears went this year. uh, This year it was Carolina. This year it was, you know, the 49ers and so on and so forth. It was it was rolling like that. There was pretty much always a new NFC champion playing either the Broncos, the Patriots, the Steelers, the Colts or the Ravens. Like that was those were the five teams like that's it. It is such a top heavy conference. But in the NFC, you better have, you know, what together if you want to play on Super Sunday. So that's what's uh, go ahead. Now yeah. it's flipped. You got Brady in the NFC now. It's probably going to represent him a couple of times by the time he hangs it up. And we'll now see. the AFC, I mean, you got the Chiefs, but you got the Chiefs, the Bills, the Ravens. You got all these teams that could make it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some new teams, but it's still still a very top-heavy uh, mm-hmm. conference. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see some other teams kind of emerge and make it a mystery as to who's coming out of the AFC as opposed to, you know, uh, what was going on for years where it's either – where it's where where the worst New England did every year for like ten years in a row was make it to the AFC Championship game. That was the worst result that they had for a decade. Was the losing or you know losing or making it to the AFC Championship game? That was the worst that they did, and that's <laughs> disgusting. That you're playing for the right to go to the Super Bowl every single year. Sometimes you win, sometimes you don't, but you'll do no worse than playing in the conference championship game. So. All right, absolutely. And so we're looking at free agency and you guys were not players uh, in the free agency uh, market. Looking at the the acquisitions, Deshaun Jackson signing on uh, to to join the you guys is pretty much like the major free agent signing you guys made. You also re-signed Leonard Floyd because he was on a one year deal uh, coming out to you guys. It was more in the in the subtractions. Michael Brockers, like you mentioned, headed off to Detroit. Austin Blythe is in Kansas City now. Uh, Troy Hill and Josh Johnson both went to the Browns. Malcolm Brown, the running back, is in Miami now. Gerald Everett, I think you guys are going to miss him. Went to Seattle, and then uh, Samson uh, Ibukam, Ebukam, yeah. uh, headed yeah. off to San Francisco. And and I know you're going to really miss Blake Bortles since he's backing up Jordan Love in uh, in Green Bay. So but it's like it was more about the subtractions in free agency than the uh than the additions. Like you guys pretty much have your core intact and didn't really need to add too much to it. Yeah, and they didn't really have a choice. Uh, you know, we talked about the salary cap a few minutes ago and it hamstrung them in a bad sure, way. Sure, sure, yeah. And obviously, you know, it was a little bit unanticipated with the COVID stuff. Nobody expected the salary cap to drop thirty million, which was unfortunate. Right. Uh, because teams don't they can't plan for that. So that was a big part of the reason why they lost a lot of players. 
Uh, I'm concerned mostly about, you know, John Johnson, Troy Hill, the secondary. They were the best secondary in football last year. A lot of the reason why the Rams were so successful. And I think they have good players, you know, coming up here that could replace them. But you're talking about a lot of leadership and the best positional group in the NFL. It's going to be hard to replicate that with two or three new moving pieces there. Uh, that'll be tough. You talked about, you know, Austin Blythe on the offensive line. There's going to be some shakeup there. Two, not necessarily new starters, but now you're sliding your right guard, Austin Corbett, to center. That's his new position. Never played at center in the NFL before. To replace him, you got a first-time starter in Bobby Evans at right guard. So two question marks there. Um, they have a lot of questions. You know, there's a lot of questions for sure. Gerald Everett, like you mentioned, uh, two players leaving the Rams and going to divisional rivals. That was kind of, you know, expected. We knew the Rams weren't going to be big players in free agency. The positive, you know, they still maintained a good roster, I think, and they find good ways to replenish throughout the draft. And not only that, but they have this tried and true method of trade these early picks, the first round picks for proven players, um, you know, develop our players and then let them walk in free agency for the most part. And then when these players walk in free agency, collect those compensatory picks and replace them with those compensatory picks. And so the Rams are scheduled to get five next year, which is obviously going to help replenish that roster further. But definitely, like you mentioned, a lot of losses in free agency this past, uh, you know, this past year. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it, it happens, uh, you know, the, 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 the roster management that we were talking about before, but the fact that you guys have uh, the success that you've had over the last several uh, years, especially since McVay uh, came to town, speaks a lot to the, to the job the coaches are doing and also uh, the job that the scouting department uh, is doing as well, finding these players to help fill up these, uh, you know, these roster gaps or, or finding you these, these depth guys that you need so much because, you know, when we go from Jalen Ramsey to the next guy, it's usually a pretty steep drop-off. So we got to make sure that the guy that we have behind him is as good as we can absolutely find to uh, to help fill the gap when that all-pro player goes down, you know, God forbid. Yeah, you know, they've done a really good job of developing these players. And I feel like that's one of the biggest advantages and bright spots in this organization is the communication between the coaching staff and the front office is really, really good. The coaching staff does a good job of letting the front office know the talents and the skill sets that they want and at which positions and the front office do a very good job of finding those players and drafting them. And then, you know, the coaching staff now gets those players and has to develop them. And uh, they've done a really good job of doing that. You know, they haven't had first round picks very often, but they still produce a lot of good players that, you know, a lot of these teams end up paying. <laughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room, formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys. Spotify Green Room is a live audio only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app, start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify green room the bears talk underground presents club 34 7 be sure and join me come through and talk with me live all you need to do is download the spotify green room app free in the ios or android app store create a profile link to your twitter and join into the group 
Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <coughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Kansas City Steaks. Kansas City Steak Company wants to make this your best grilling season ever. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with the code SD at checkout. From classic steak cuts to USDA Prime to hard-to-find specialty cuts and more, Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up the grill. These are steakhouse-quality steaks aged to perfection. They make it so easy each order is flash-frozen and delivered directly. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Enjoy their butter-tender filet mignon, hearty Kansas City steak strip steaks, and savory ribeyes. It's been a hard year, so enjoy being together again by bringing the steakhouse to your house with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with the code SD at checkout. That's KansasCitySteaks.com, code SD. Yeah, the, um, when, the, when the Rams liked using their first-round picks, they broke my heart seven years ago. Um, the 2014 draft, um, Aaron Donald. Um, mm-hmm. we, you know, here we are, and, you know, the Bears are picking at 14, and everything said that if Donald made it past the Giants at 11, or it was 11 or 12, one of the two, he'll be there for the Bears at 14. Sure enough, I think the Giants took Odell Beckham that year. So, like, okay, well, he, that's definitely passing on Aaron Donald. Last hurdle cleared. Aaron Donald, here we come. And then at 13, one pick before us, the Rams, who already have three first-round picks on their defensive line, take Aaron Donald. It's like, oh, come on, man. Really? You don't need this guy. Come on. We need a middle of the guy. You know, we need that guy. We need him. You don't need him. You already have four guys, Robert Quinn, Michael Brock. You got all those guys. It's like, why are you taking him? You don't need him. And he turns out to be the best player in the league for like the last six or seven years. So (laughs) it's like, granted, we got Kyle Fuller, so he didn't exactly do too bad. But Mm -hmm. we didn't get the immediate return on investment that you guys got with Aaron Donald. Fuller kind of found himself in year three or four uh, of his career. He finally, you know, got his head screwed on straight and started playing, uh, you know, like a like a first round pick. But, um, you know, it's like if he could go back to do it again. I'm telling Phil Emery to trade up. Go get him. Don't wait for him to come to you at 14. He won't be there. So, Look yeah. Look at the bright side. He could have been the Detroit Lions and taking Eric Ebron one pick before, which, <laughs> you know, on hindsight, was not too good of a pick there. Dude, uh, you know, when I when uh, they did the, I think it was a 30 for 30 or some kind of documentary on Matt Millen and oh, no. how his own kid, like, punched him in the face uh, <laughs> on one draft day. Like, literally punched him in the face because the he he let the scouting department or whoever the owners or whatever talk him into drafting uh, Michael Williams, the wide receiver out of USC, who had been out of football the year before because he tried to pull the Maurice Claret thing 
and tried yeah. to go into the NFL early and ended up having to sit out for a year. And the person that that every like he was settled on, he was going to take him, and then at the last second, he let himself get talked out of picking Demarcus Ware. Oof. I mean, as a Bear fan, thank you for being stupid because that's all we needed was to have you know Demarcus Ware in the division kicking our ass twice a year, but. Like angry enough that his own son punched him in the face on draft day after they called that uh, wide receivers thing. And he was a total bust for them. So it's like, yeah, you hear about moments like that. And I was like, that's what we're talking about as far as the lions and not being able to figure out because they keep doing things like that. So, yeah. And but, that's what uh, separates the, the good from the bad in the NFL, man. It's a game of inches. Like they say, yeah. one pick sometimes makes all the difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of picks, let's look at the draft. Obviously, no first uh, round pick thanks to the Jalen Ramsey trade. So the the Jaguars owned your pick this year. But you did instead of like waiting until like pick 87 uh, to make a pick, which I think you did like last year, the year before (laughs) you got a pick in the second round. Very interesting name. Tutu Atwell, wide receiver out of Louisville is uh, was the, the first pick on the board for you guys. Yeah, and this one was a head-scratcher for a lot of people, not myself. You know, I knew they were going to target one of those small, diminutive, speedy type of receivers at some point, probably a little bit early for me, but um, you're talking about a coaching staff that prioritized getting more explosive all offseason. They talked about it so many times, and uh, every move they made throughout the offseason rang true. You know, you go get Matthew Stafford, who throws the ball further down the field than pretty much any other quarterback in football, I think is average depth of target is only second to Jameis Winston over, you know, the past couple seasons. So that tells you how much he's going to push the ball downfield. Uh, you talk about drafting two, two out well in the second round, a guy that has blazing speed. I think they're going to use him in that gadget style role. A lot of jet sweeps, a lot of screens, a lot of that fun type of usage. And I'm sure he's going to, you know, get to learn behind Deshaun Jackson as a deep threat who coming out himself was a lot of a, a you know, smaller, lighter guy, which is, kind of the knock on that well the fact that he's 150 pounds and he's now gonna have to go play in the nfl which is kind of absurd um but kind of felt like a little bit of a luxury style pick but i get it the Rams said they wanted to get more explosive they drafted Atwell. they paid deshaun jackson they drafted jacob harris in the fourth round one of the freakiest athletes in this draft uh and every move they made essentially followed that trend so was a little bit of a luxury but i think he's gonna you know, he's going to help that offense. Not so much maybe this season, maybe a handful of touches every game here or there, probably more of a decoy style of role. But it's very clear to me that they wanted to get more explosive. And, you know, Deshaun Jackson, he's only got a one-year contract. When he walks next year or retires, it's going to be Tutu Owl's role. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, it's it's always interesting. Uh, and the, the draft is, 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 that's what actually makes the draft fun, is that you kind of find out, you get to peek behind the curtain. Because going into the draft, all the teams are so secretive with where they have people ranked, who they like, who they don't, uh, and things like that. And, and every draft uh, night, this is always a surprise as to where somebody values a certain player uh, to be. Like, you, you know, you were saying, you know, you thought that 57 was early uh, for Atwell, but apparently he was the highest player ranked on the board because that's who the Rams went with when it was time for them to make their first Uh, their first choice you saw like the Raiders uh, Alex Leatherwood everyone thought he was a second round pick at best the Raiders Mm -hmm. take him 17 overall you know he went ahead of like other other offensive linemen like the guy that Bears got in the second round Tevin Jenkins who was ranked across the board as a first round prospect he falls to 39 before the Bears go 
uh, and get him. It's it's just a matter of, uh, you know, where they have this ranked, what they're prioritizing. You know, are they going best player available? Are they drafting for need? With like, well, this guy ranks higher on this board, and you know that kind of thing. It's always interesting to see how teams factor those things out. And and I would wager if you put them side by side, nobody's board is the same. Yeah, and that's what makes the draft fun. Like you said, you know, you have no idea what's going to happen. And even the media, you know, outlook, the mock drafts, the rankings, the big boards, all that, nobody had Atwell high. I mean, we were talking about a guy that a lot of people thought was going to be a fourth, fifth, sixth round pick. So it was quite a shocker when the Rams took him, you know, top 60. But, uh, you know, like you said, that was their guy. And um, they felt like they weren't going to get him in the third round, which was kind of the talk there. And Better to overdraft your guy if he's your guy than to, you know, hope that he falls for you. And then that Aaron Donald Chicago Bears situation happens and you don't get your guy. So, right. Well, you know, it's it's not a reach if the guy works out. You right. know, it's like it would just be sour apples for somebody else to say it was a reach. But the guy was, you know, had a 10 year career and was one of our better contributors. So we didn't reach for anything. We got the guy that we wanted and he worked out for us. So it wasn't a reach. It's only a reach if it doesn't work out. You know, so we got uh, up next, we got Ernest Jones, a linebacker out of South Carolina. And um, then we got Bobby Brown, the third from Texas A&M, a defensive tackle. Robert Rochelle, a corner out of central Arkansas before Jacob Harris, the one you mentioned before, the wide receiver out of uh, out of UCF. It's like, who do you like out of that batch? Yeah, so I think they all have unique roles and I kind of understand all of them. Ernest Jones, I thought was a little bit early. I didn't love his tape personally. Um, but you know, they love the neck up approach from him. Uh, very, you know, smart guy, very good football IQ, very good at lining guys up and picking up, you know, trends on offense. I think that's kind of his role. there. going to be a run stuffing linebacker for the most part. Uh, and then the other ones I really like Bobby Brown, I think is going to be that Michael Brockers replacement. Really, really strong at the point of attack. He can two gap, and they love guys that can stop the run, so he's going to fit there. You look at Jacob Harris, who I mentioned. He's going to be a pure projection play going from receiver to tight end. Uh, but Matthew Stafford's always had a big guy that can kind of go, you know, climb the ladder, so to speak, and bring down some contested catches. So I think he can play that role. And you're talking about a guy that's, you know, 6'5", 240, and runs a 4'3". Like, this guy's an absolute freak. So he's worth that mid-round pick. And Robert Rochelle, I probably my favorite pick of this draft, to be honest with you, if not – the favorite, he's definitely up there. Very athletic corner, once again, like Harris. Absolute freak explosion. He was amongst you know the 99th percentile there, uh, among all corners in those explosion drills. You know the vertical jump, the broad jump, those things. Three cone. Um, had very good tape at Central Arkansas. Former uh, wide receiver. You see it the way that he attacks the football. And ultimately, they have some guys that are coming up on contracts here. Darius Williams is on a one-year contract. And I really, really love that pick of Rochelle there. Might not factor in this season. I don't know if he's going to be you know, at his best in the nickel spot, which is where the Rams need somebody. If he's not a factor this year, I think for sure next year he could be a starter for the Rams there. If uh, That was Harris that you were talking about, 6'4", two, or 6'5", 240? Yeah. So how did he fall to 140 in the in the draft was it the lower competition from UCF was he was he a late late bloomer who we didn't hear of until he was a senior and he had 80 catches type season what what uh, caused him to fall as far as he did was he an injury guy 
Uh, no, he. I believe he started playing football late, like you kind of mentioned there. Uh, he used to be a soccer player. I think he just recently started playing football not too long ago. He's an older prospect. I want to see he's 23, maybe 24. Okay. And he just never really had much production at UCF. I think maybe you know his career high might have been 300, 400 yards in a season. So, And he was playing out of position. I mean, he's not going to be a receiver at the next level. He's going to be a tight end. Uh, kind of like that Jared Cook style of tight end. He's sure, not going to put his sure. hand in the dirt and just maul guys, but... Um, that big slot, Jimmy Graham style receiver or tight end, I guess you could call him. And uh, that's kind of, you know, why he fell now. Purely a projection. Uh, it's been good, I guess, to hear recently that he's been doing very well at OTAs, which I'm not surprised. The guy can run, he can jump and he can catch. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, it might take him a year or two to sort of get his feet under him and understand the playbook and a new position. All right. And then rounding out the, the picks, you got Ernest Brown, the fourth from Northwestern. Uh, defensive end, running back Jake Funk, love that name, from Maryland. And you got, uh, let's see if you can help me out with this one, Ben Skoranek? Skoranek, yeah. Skoranek, oh, not too bad. Wide receiver out of Notre Dame. And Chris Garrett, linebacker from Concordia St. Paul, because there's that football factory of, uh, uh, you know, in the seventh round, pretty close to Mr. Uh, Mr. Relevant was 259. You got him at two. Uh, 52. These are all special teams guys aside from maybe Brown, correct? Yeah, so that's basically exactly what you said. Uh, Brown probably going to be a five technique at this next uh, level here. I like this tape actually. I thought, you know, he's going to have a decent role here. The Rams lost another D-tackle Morgan Fox and free to see. I think Fox is probably a better pass rusher than Brown but I think Brown is pretty stout at the point of attack like Bobby Brown, the fourth round pick. They want guys to fill specific roles, and Bobby Brown, Ernest Brown, I think those are both very, very good run defenders. Bobby Brown probably better at nose tackle. Ernest Brown probably better at five technique, like I mentioned, that Michael Brocker style of role. But at the same time, he can kick inside and you know offer a little bit of pass rush help there. Uh, but yeah, everyone else, like you mentioned, just special teams guys, uh, late round character type of guys, and um, you know, I ultimately. You can only do so much when you don't have a first-round pick. I think they came away with a pretty decent class for what they wanted. They always target guys that can fill specific roles for them on offense, defense, and uh, ultimately they found those guys. And, you know, the Rams, I mean, I know Fossil is, is no longer on the uh, – is no longer your special teams coordinator. I believe he's in Dallas now. But, you know, special teams is a very big part of what the Rams do. They have, like, one of the best kickers in the league. They have the best punter. Uh, in, in Johnny Hecker and things like that. So special teams is a very important aspect, you know, and it's very important uh, to McVay that they put the best possible special teams units on the field. They don't trade it or he doesn't treat it like a, you know, like that throwaway down. Ah, it's a punt. Go ahead. Whoever we have that doesn't play real football, go out there and do something for a few seconds. You know, they want to put the actual best unit on the field that they that they can. And that's it, another thing that kind of speaks to their success. It was a big thing with Lovey Smith when he was the head coach of the Chicago bears. I mean, we had def- we had starters playing special teams like Charles Tillman was on the punt team and, and things like that. You, you look at like some of Devin Hester's highlights where he's running back kicks and who's blocking for him. But, but Charles Tillman, why is one of the best corners in the league playing the punt return team? Get him off the field. Or you're going to get him killed. How dare you? But that was Lovey and his emphasis on special teams. And Sean McVay does the same thing. Yeah. Shout out Peanut Tillman, man. Legend. But um, absolutely. Yeah. 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 They, you know, they value special teams and they should. It's a third of the game. Obviously not as important as, you know, offense and defense, but largely for the past 
decade, they've been, you know, a top three, top five, maybe the best special teams unit. Now, last year, they took a huge step back. Uh, like you mentioned, Bones Fossil took off. He's in Dallas. Uh, former kicker Greg Zerline took off. He's in Dallas with him. Long snapper Jake McQuaid took off this offseason. He's joining them in Dallas. So it's kind of weird they're getting that Rams special teams unit over there. Hmm. Uh, the only one remains is Johnny Hecker, like you mentioned. But that's why they got a new special teams coordinator for the second year in a row now. Um, they got a new kicker. You know, they got a new few new pieces. So I think they're trying to reinvest in that spot and, and just try to pick it up back to, you know, where it was before. Because last year, they were arguably, you know, one of the worst units in the NFL, in my opinion. Wow. All right, so let's look ahead uh, to the schedule as we wrap things up here, uh, Sosa. It's, uh, you know, we'll be talking again soon. Uh, it's, you know, we'll have you back on the show to preview week number one because it's Bears-Rams Sunday night football uh, to kick it off. Looking forward to the game because I'm not sure who our starting quarterback is going to be. I mean, Matt Nagy is insistent that it's going to be uh, Andy Dalton, but he's also keeps saying things like, we're not going to keep him off the field just for the fun of it. If, you know, if, if, if Fields is ready to play, he's going to play. And, you know, which kind of like leaves the door open to like if Andy Dalton just has a total brain fart of a preseason and Justin Fields looks like the number one pick that we drafted him to be, he may be our day one starter against the Rams week number one. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the question of the offseason, right? For you guys especially, but even for Rams fans, who are we going to play in week one is what they're thinking. But, I tend to think it is going to be Dalton. I just Me don't too. think he's going yeah. to toss fields out there that quickly. And uh, probably, you know, the right decision. That team is pretty good. I think you guys are a 10-11 win team. And um, you got to give Justin Fields as much time as you possibly can. The only reason I could see them rushing fields out, and maybe not week one, maybe like week three or week four if Dalton really doesn't do well, is just because, you know, Matt Nagy and, and uh, Ryan Paster – their seats are a little bit warm, you know, yeah. so they might have a little bit more intention on that quick return as opposed to thinking about it long term. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I like Justin Fields. I think he's a very good player. I wouldn't be shocked if he is the best quarterback week one. Uh, but it is definitely very, very interesting to see. And I know a lot of Rams fans are dying to find out who they're going to be playing week one. Yeah, and it'll be a full, full uh, stadium at SoFi uh, week one, which I can't wait to see, man, to see football fans back in the stands. Like you look at. Uh, you know, replays or, or, you know, highlights and stuff like that of the 2020 season. And in those empty stadiums, it's depressing, you know, mm -hmm. looking at it. It doesn't look like it doesn't look real, you know, playing playing those games in the empty stadiums. Like I was uh, watching highlights of the Bears Thursday night game against the, the Buccaneers uh, last year. Week five, we beat Tampa Bay at home, you know, over uh, over over Tampa. It was that game where Brady forgot what down it was, thought it was third mm -hmm. down and it was fourth and they had an incomplete pass and the game was over. Brady thinking he had one more shot and things like that. You know, it's just like the stadium was empty. It would have been going nuts if that if there were Bear fans in the stands in that game and we beat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers and things like that. It would have been a total different vibe other than a few claps and hoots and whistles from the sideline because we won the game. And, and I can't wait to see what that stadium is going to look like full uh, on Sunday night football. So... Very interested to see what happens there. Yeah, it's going to be great to finally get fans in there. I know the NFL wanted uh, you know, fans in there last year, obviously, with the Rams opening up on Sunday Night Football. It uh, would have been awesome to see. But it feels like finally this year you know, they're going to get that real grand opening for SoFi. And uh, I just think back to that last year, that first game, San Fran, or not San Fran, Dallas on, on Sunday night. 
all the you know the images that they had pre- prior to the game. You got Chris Collinsworth and and uh, Al Michaels and like all this grand uh, presentation. But I feel like now finally you're gonna get the fans. Uh, it's gonna be fun. And as I know, uh, you know Chicago fans travel well. And I yes, do we recall, do. Uh, at that Coliseum, uh, I want to say it was a game at the Coliseum. I might be wrong, but there was a lot of Chicago fans at one point in LA. I can't recall what season now, but um, that's going to be fun. You know, I think both teams are going to be well represented, and it's going to be fun to finally see what that atmosphere is really like with fans in the stadium. Yeah, this is actually our third year in a row traveling out to LA. Fourth year in a row yeah. that we're playing you guys. So we played 2018 in Chicago. 2014 was the same place. We were same place opponents because we both finished in first. That was in the Coliseum. 2020 last year on Monday Night Football, I think was was another same place game, um, mm-hmm. and that's why we ended up playing each other last year. And then this year, because we're because the NFC West is part of the rotation this year, year number four in a row that the Rams and the Bears are button heads. Third year in a row uh, in LA. So, uh, so then we move on from Week One at the Indianapolis. Uh, so two pretty interesting games, actually three, because after Indianapolis, you come home for Tampa Bay, the defending world champions. So not exactly, not the most difficult start, but not an easy one by any stretch of the imagination. Chicago at home, Indy on the road, Tampa Bay uh, at home. Uh, it, you know, those are winnable games. Even, you know, Tampa Bay didn't play well on the road uh, last year, you know, and I'm pretty sure the Rams are pretty good at last at SoFi uh, last year. So, you know, not the easiest stretch, but, uh, you know, or not the hardest, but not the easiest one either. Yeah, you know, the schedule, I feel like, was a little bit decent to the Rams this year. Um, that start is going to be tough. And uh, there is, like, another gap or, you know, a little chunk in the schedule that's a little bit tough. But, you know, they're going to be uh, ready to go, I think, at some point. The only thing that could kind of hamper them is, you know, well, you got a new quarterback, so you got to work out the kinks there. And um, you look back to last year, like you talked about the Bucks. it took a little while to get going with Tom Brady in that offense. And we're talking about Tom Brady, so... You know, if uh, if he takes time to adjust, then it might take a little bit longer, you know, for Stafford or it might be fair to expect that, you know, first few weeks or, you know, month, month and a half, maybe two months for Sean McVay to really, really get in tempo with his new quarterback and they can finally work out the kinks and everyone gel and get the chemistry down. Uh, but they are going to get a preseason this right. year, three games. The Rams don't usually trot out their starters. Maybe they will a few snaps just because it's new stuff here, but um that's kind of the advantage that they have going into this season as opposed to last season it's going to be a tough start for sure but uh the schedule does lighten up a little bit after there you look at you know the giants the jets uh, a couple other games like that uh jaguars where the rams should be favored and, and definitely oh, should sure. take care of uh, business yeah and I, and I do feel like this is going to be a year where, where teams in the past you know sit their starters and they barely play a snap in the preseason i do think they're going to use uh the preseason uh, a bit like you said, maybe even for a couple series, the starters are going to go out there like they used to. I don't think we're going to be seeing, you know, starters playing into the second half, you know, that quote unquote dress rehearsal game. I don't think you're going to be seeing that, but I do think that you're going to definitely see the starters, uh, you know, get warmed up at least on the field a bit. Uh, week one is not going to be the first snap that they play in 2021. I can pretty much guarantee that. So uh, after the first three games, uh, Chicago, Indy, Tampa, then you're home for the Cardinals. Quick turnaround with a Thursday night game at Seattle. Then, like you mentioned, at the Giants. Home for the Lions at the Texans. So there's that soft section you were talking about. The Giants, mm-hmm. the Lions, the Texans. I don't even think you can get to 10 wins if you got all those wins up uh, between those three teams. Then back-to-back um, uh, uh, national TV games. 
before the bye week, home for Tennessee at San Francisco on Monday night. Tennessee was a Sunday night game, and then the eleven week eleven uh, bye week. So you know you get ten games in before the bye, and like you said, you got some you got some softer games in there. You know you you uh, you know got some toughness out of the Cardinals, but that's usually a game you guys come away with. You split with Seattle, and that one's on the road at the Giants, home for the Lions at the Texans and then the Titans and who knows what the 49ers are going to be. Cause they were the, you know, they, they fell, fell prey to the Super Bowl loser curse last year with the injuries and, and things like that. But you know, everyone's expecting them to bounce back uh, this year. So I'm very interested to see how the NFC West is going to turn out, especially with the 49ers supposedly back. Yeah. And you know, I tend to agree with most people. I do think the 49ers are going to be, back so to speak you know you look back to last year so many injuries uh, at the quarterback spot too the most important position right and it was just a disaster for them that quarterback spot and they were still you know pretty decent and not only that but they swept the Rams. they swept the Rams. yeah last i was year looking at that yeah no quarterback so uh you look at you know their team now i don't know who's gonna start there it's kind of the same situation as you guys is mm-hmm. it jimmy garoppolo is it trey lance and if it is garoppolo how long is he gonna be in there uh, but, you know, I'm not ready to count the 49ers out at all. I think they're going to be a lot better this year, a lot more competitive, especially when they turn the page to Trey Lance. I think that Kyle Shanahan can scheme a lot more, you know, crazy things with him back there with that mobility and the rocket of an arm that he has. Um, but I too, you know, I, I tend to think the Rams are probably the favorite right now. The 49ers maybe creeping up right behind them, not too far uh, behind. And then the Seahawks right behind the 49ers. I, I think that's kind of the way it looks right now. Um, you know, obviously going to depend on injuries and things like that, but that's kind of the way I see it. And then you you got the Cardinals as well, who I don't think are going to be bad either, but Sean McVay's never lost to them. And, uh, you know, I don't know that he will this year. He's done a very good job coaching against those guys. So I think the expectation is that probably split against San Fran, probably split against Seattle, try to, you know, sweep up the Cardinals once again. If you can get out of the, out of the division at four and two, think you're feeling pretty good about your chances there absolutely and then after the bye the last seven games at green bay home for jacksonville at arizona on monday night to close out the series there home for the seahawks at minnesota at baltimore uh christmas day or you know christmas day after christmas day after new year's and then the last two games home for san francisco home for the Oh, I put Rams. That's not right. Who do you who do you guys play the last? Is it Seattle again? San Fran is the last one. San Fran's the last one. Yeah. Oh, you're right. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. That's me not being a smart guy. There, I got I got week eighteen written down there twice. So for some reason, and one was San Francisco, the other one was L.A. So I must be there for my San Francisco notes. But yeah, there you go. At Baltimore, and then at the or home for the Forty ers to. Uh, to finish up. So so when you look at this and trying to be critical but obviously also being biased at the same time, what do you, what are you looking at for a win total here? Yeah, I think it's probably going to come between, you know, maybe 10, 11 wins. I think that's probably fair to expect. You know, they got the extra game now too, so it's kind of weird. I guess 10 and 7 or 11 and 6. Uh, that's sort of what I'm expecting, but it really just depends on I guess how healthy they can be. Uh, how quickly Matthew Stafford can get acclimated to this new system and how he and Sean McVay can, you know, sort of get going. I, I see it sort of like 10 and 7 as their floor, if everyone can stay healthy or, you know, the most important players can stay healthy. 
and the ceiling being maybe you know a 13 and four record if things go very very well sure i tend to think it's probably on that 10 to 11 range i think 11 is probably the sweet spot maybe 12 you know if the ball kind of falls their way but i tend to think 11 or 12 wins i think that's a fair expectation for a team that you know has been very successful that schedule is relatively tough but when you look back to the last few years the Rams have done a lot of traveling, the most of any NFL team. And not only that, but you're talking about consistent trips to, you know, London and they were going to play in Mexico City and all these crazy trips. Now it's just like, all right, we're staying in the States and we're still traveling a decent amount of miles. I think the fourth most in the NFL, but I think they're happy to take that versus, you know, going overseas all the time. It's finally sort of slowing down for them there. But, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a good team. 10, 11 wins, probably maybe 12. Uh, so I see it kind of in that range there. Okay. Well, I do like the team. And, uh, you know, like I said, they're always kind of fascinating uh, to me, those those uh, those big contract guys that you have, and somehow you're able to put a roster together that produces for you and gets results and things like that. Like I said, that speaks a lot to the to the scouting and the and the coaching that they're doing with the players that they're bringing in. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very interested to see how Stafford does out there in L.A. Like we talked about earlier, this is definitely probably the best team that he's played for thus thus far you know the with all the weapons he has around him he's got a running game behind him which he has absolutely never had like you said eight to ten games in his entire career in in Detroit and I think it does average out to maybe less than one game a season that he's had a hundred yard rusher and you know he's been going to the Pro Bowl throwing for four and five thousand yards consistently what will he be able to do with a running game with an offense where you have to respect play action uh, and things like that, what will he be able to take advantage of that he wasn't able to uh, in Detroit when he was just heaving up prayers to Calvin Johnson over and over again uh, and things like that. So, And then, of course, for the defense to, you know, can they hang on to the number one ranking now that, you know, even though Brandon Staley is gone, Raheem Morris is a smart guy, he's a good coach, will he be able to to maintain the success level that you guys had before? A lot of good things could happen uh, in L.A., and I will start rooting for them again as soon as they change the uniforms back to what they were before. Oh, that's going to strike a nerve. You know, the, the fans are so half of them are very upset. They wanted those old blue and yellow ones and white and yellow ones. And I can't blame them. I think that's the best jersey in sports. But, you know, I just don't think fans look at it like the front office looks at it because, they have the old fans, you know, the older heads and people like me and even older than me. They have them, you know, they have us in their hip pocket. We're not going anywhere. And we like the Rams, whether they were in L.A. or in St. Louis or in Cleveland, man. It doesn't yeah. matter. I think they're trying to identify with this new generation. And they're taking a very, you know, weird turn straight right coming off the path there. You don't really expect them to go bone color and this and that. But I like the uniforms. I think, the you know, some combos are maybe not the prettiest, but... I think, you know, they did a pretty good job uh, kind of redesigning the team and trying to identify with this new crop of fans and these new generation of kids that, you know, now they're in back in California. So I think they're still trying to get that interest, uh, you know, to where they want it. So it makes sense to me, but I, I definitely hear your side of the story, too. A lot of fans definitely agree with you. Well, for me, it's not so much about the uniforms. I mean, the the, the only thing that I dislike about the uniforms is that, that gradient mm-hmm. coloring and in, in the numbers on the home jerseys but it's just like the colors themselves uh if they'd have stuck with the old colors with the new design i think it would look fantastic i really Mm -hmm. do because that that you know the 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 sharp edge like uh you know horn logo that they have on the helmet i don't hate it 
You know, I, I do like it. And I think if they had stuck with the original color palette, that it would look really good. Uh, the bone uniform, those have got to go. Those things are awful. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I, I do, I do like the uniforms. I like the new look, but I just, the color palette, I would have, it was a, you know, fixing what ain't broke type thing as far as the colors go. Now, just to give you a heads up, I am what you would call a uniform snob. So these kinds Mm -hmm. of things I'm critical of, like we had the Falcons on, uh, on the schedule last year. So we did spend a good time talking about those uniforms that the Falcons switched to last year and how they were an abomination. (laughs) And you know, you're not going to play good because you look terrible. It is just, it's, you know, it's look good, play good, and you guys don't look good. So I don't expect much out of you guys uh, this year. Never mind your roster issues and your salary cap problems. You don't look good, so you're not going to play good. Um, you know, the, like I said, they're not awful. I don't, I didn't dislike like the design and everything like that. It's just the colors were like a shade off from where they should have been. If they'd have just left them the way they were, I'd have been a big fan uh, of of the uniforms. Yeah, and I'm on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I'm like, I don't give a damn about what you're wearing. Put whatever you want on. Put tutus on, man. I don't care. Just go play football games. Go hit somebody like that old traditionalist uh, mentality. Just yeah. go win football games. That's all that matters to me. Right. Well, I'm also a fan of a team that hasn't changed its uniform like ever. So I like that. you know, absolutely. I, I still yeah. I still think our road uniforms, the the white tops and the dark bottoms, that's the sexiest uniform in sports, in my opinion. So. Um, you know, that's just how I roll. So, but it's like, I, I'm, I'm a graphic designer by trade. And so I, I look and I notice things like that. And when the Rams uniforms came out, it was like, I like the uniforms. They should have stuck with the old colors. That would have worked a whole lot better for me personally. But, uh, anyway, so, so thanks so much, uh, for coming in. Uh, it's always nice to make a new friend and we look forward to having you back to kick off the season week one. We'll be talking about the preseason, who made the roster, who didn't, and what we're looking forward to in the first Sunday night matchup of the year. Absolutely, my man. Thank you for having me. Uh, Week one should be fun. Can't wait to get back to uh, actual football. It's going to be fun to break that down. And uh, best of luck to both teams. You know, I think both teams should be very successful this season. And uh, where can we find you online if we're looking for you? Yeah, you can find my work over at PFF or at Locked On Rams. I'm the host there. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at QB's MVP. And there you have it, Sosa K. Thanks so much for being on the show. We'll talk to you again soon, man. Absolutely, man. Cheers. As always, want to thank my guest, Sosa K, from the Locked On Rams podcast for joining us. Looking forward to talking to him well, sooner than everybody else, we start off week one with the Rams on Sunday Night Football and uh, very intrigued to see where um, where the Bears will be uh, at that point. Will we be, you know, clamoring for Justin Fields to be the starting quarterback? Will it be Andy Dalton? Will he put our, you know, fears to to ease with the a good preseason performance and, and things like that? Uh, I'm sure that no matter what happens in the preseason, we'll all be excited about the prospect of Justin Fields uh, taking the field at one point. But uh, I think it would it would help me breathe a lot easier if Andy Dalton came in and performed well. So at the very least, God forbid, if he's asked, got to be our quarter, our backup uh, at some point, we'll know that we'll be able to still win football games, even though he's not uh, our starter. So uh, I'm interested to see, uh, especially with, with Nagy 
Sometimes, you know, he, he's talking out both sides of his mouth where Andy Dalton is our day one starter. Don't look for Justin Fields to be the week one starter. And then at the same time saying things like, you never know what happens, but we're going to stick to the plan. We're going to stick to the plan and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see. He's kind of bouncing back and forth uh, on, on where he lands on that kind of thing. And, and I'm interested to see where the Bears are going to land uh, on it. You know, and like I said, after talking to everybody, it's like, wait till you hear my conversation uh, with our Seahawks guest on Thursday, uh, Michael Sean du- uh, Duggar, uh, Duggar. I, I screw up his name all the time. But anyway, uh, Mike, Michael will, will be on the show on Thursday. By the end of our talk with him, I'm like, yeah, screw Andy Dalton. Let's play Justin Fields right away. To hell with this. Nobody wants to wait. Let's put him on the field now. Wait till you hear the argument that he makes that sways me completely to the Justin Fields playing immediately side uh, of things. So, uh, yeah, I, I was hard, hard pressed. Like, nope, Andy Dalton, I don't care if we see Justin Fields at all. I'm going with the Pat Mahomes idea. And then I talked to Mike Sean and he's like, yeah. Here's why he should play, and it's a brilliant argument. So wait till you hear that one uh, on Thursday. But, uh, you know, again, want to thank Sosa K. I'm I'm very interested to see how the Rams are going to do past week one uh, with Matt Stafford, with him being surrounded by the most complete roster he's ever been a part of. He'll have a solid running game, one of the best defenses in the NFL, and all the weapons you can shake a stick at out there uh, in L.A. and uh, see if, uh, if they can pull this thing off. So, um, you know, the Rams are, are, you know, if I had to choose today, they'd be a heavy favorite of mine in the NFC to, uh, to represent in the Super Bowl. I mean, I just think they're an outstanding uh, football team. Now it's up to them uh, to take the field and, and make, it, make, it, make it real. So, um, anyway, like I said, Thursday, Michael Sean Duggar from uh, The Athletic in Seattle will be our guest to close up the NFC West. And uh, then we'll be moving on to the AFC North with the Bengals, the Browns, the Ravens, and the Steelers before we shut everything down with our NFC North brethren. And then finally, our beloved Chicago Bears. We are getting so close, guys. We are getting closer and closer all the time. Uh, When this episode drops, it'll be June 21st. So we're almost through the month of June. By the time we get done with uh, with the previews, it'll be, you know, July. We'll be on the heels of the preseason and uh, training camp and shortly after that the regular season will be here and then all will be right with the world again so come back on thursday where we'll preview the seattle seahawks and then and until then my name is larry d and this has been the bears talk underground Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. 
So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.